Um, blah, check out. <laughs> um, I've been um, I've been reading Isaiah um, the last few weeks, and I read a book, uh, so a, a Christian novel, which was based on Isaiah, but from someone else in the story's perspective. So it's not it wasn't kind of based on the story of Isaiah. So then I decided I'd read the real book of Isaiah in the Bible. Um, uh, yeah, the book is called daughter, Isaiah's Daughter. Um, he doesn't have a daughter in real life, but it's written from the perspective of somebody who's in his household. So it's a really good book. I have it, Gemma has it, Karina has it. Karina has Gemma's. Um, but if you want to borrow it, then shout, because actually it's really interesting to read some of the Bible stories from a different perspective sometimes than what's actually written in the Bible. It might have added bits and things that you kind of have to um, decide whether you agree with the whole story in its entirety or not. But it's interesting to think of things from a different angle. Um, anyway, so then I decided that I would actually read the proper book of Isaiah and find out about it in facts from the Bible. Um, and Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. He is, um, so a prophet is somebody who God uses, um, God gives messenger, messages to, to give to the people um, about, um, what button do I press? That one. Um, so a prophet in the Old Testament, he brings messages from God that God gives him to give to the people. Um, usually about the future or an event or what the people should be doing to make something they've done right if they've done something wrong. Um, and uh, the Jews actually call him one of the, the greatest prophets in their, from their section of the Bible um, and hold him up with Moses and Elijah. Um, so he's a really, he's esteemed, shall we say, as a prophet of God. Um, he was born and raised in the palace in the nation in Judah. Um, Sorry, this is just giving you a background to who he is because I didn't know all this stuff. Um, he's actually the grandson of King Joash. So presumably one of King Joash's wives, they had several hundred probably, um, offspring of one of those. So he's not in, in line for the throne in any sense, but he's the grandson of um, a king. Uh, in Judah. So he's in the palace, he has an education, he has wealth, he has status, um, he has freedom to walk around within their section of the palace when he's growing up and things. Um, so you could see that as a two-way, two um, a blessing and a curse for him really as a prophet of God because he has an audience who see him and he has this status so they'll listen to him. But equally, He's in a place where if, he, if what he has to say from God isn't in line with the kings and the politicians and everything else, then actually he's got a really hard job uh, on his hand. Um, and it can be split into two sections, the book of Isaiah. For those of you who like random facts and are doing Christian pub quizzes or whatever, there are 66 chapters in Isaiah and they're split literally 1 to 39 um, is looking at the judgment and the, the historical, um, the wars the politics of the time and the people disobeying and essentially it's the Old Testament summarized almost um, and then you get to the second half which is 27 chapters which is the same number of books in the New Testament it's random information but I thought it was quite cool um, and that's looking at um, the future it's the hope that's uh, that's Jesus he's looking 
to um, all of his prophecies from then, they get more and more hopeful, more and more positive, and they start mentioning this coming um, anointed one who's the saviour. Um, so it's literally split into two, which I just thought was quite cool. Um, okay, so... Oh, there we go. Okay, so we're going to look at Isaiah 6, um, verses 1 to 8, because this actually really popped out to me, and someone was preaching on it at a church that I work at the other day, and so it made me reread it. Um, so I thought we'd... And I, I reread it and looked at it again. Um, let's read it through. So it was the year... In the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over, I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here, are, here am I, here I am send me. Um, and this is a revelation moment for Isaiah, and some people say this was a vision, some people say it was an experience he had. I think what you like, that's fine. Um, but when I was reading it, I then looked through it in sections, and there were some things that stood out to me, so we're just going to whiz through it, I think, because it's probably the best thing. So it was the year King Isaiah died. So the king's died. He was Isaiah's cousin, um, Isaiah was working with him. He was generally a good king, although he made some mistakes towards the end of his reign. Um, but over his entire reigning period, he was actually um, a relatively good king um, and listened to what God was saying up until kind of towards the end of his reign. Um, so there's uncertainty um, in the land. Um, Assyria which is a big nation, which is further round the, kind of round the coast from Judah where they are, has a massive army. And because of the uncertainty and knowing that the king has gone, the Assyrian army is rising up and they're ready to take all of these nations. And it's a real threat to Judah um, at the time. Um, and so in real life, in their earthly situation, Isaiah and the people are going to be pretty unsure of what is happening. There's no one on the throne in their real life. There's a massive army just down, like, over there, and they know that they've got to go through Judah to, to get to where they want to go, taking these nations. Um, and God shows Isaiah this picture, and he starts by removing Isaiah from his earthly situation and looking at who is on the throne. Because... It doesn't matter what is going on around us in our everyday, in our jobs, in our schools, in our friendship groups, with our car, with um, anything that can be happening in our lives. All the uncertainty, actually, God's showing Isaiah before anything else that he is on the throne um, and that he is on the throne that matters. 
um, because he's over all everything. Okay, the next, the next bit talks about the seraphim. Who are these angels? And um, seraphim means to burn. Um, so fire, burning. Um, you've all seen fire. You all know what fire does. Fire burns stuff. Fire burns stuff so much that it disintegrates and it disappears. Um, and God's holiness is like a fire. Um, God's holiness is is so bright and so powerful and so burning that it burns up everything that is unpure, everything that is unclean, everything that is um, not holy, essentially. Um, and these seraphim are there, and they, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Um, and they're covering their faces and they're covering their feet. They can't, they're angels, and they can't even look at God because he is so holy and he is so powerful and awesome. Um, and there's a bit in, in Exodus, I don't know if you remember Moses, the story of Moses, where Moses wants to see God, wants to see God's face, and God says, you can't, you will die. Anyone who looks on my face will die. And Moses says, please, please, please. And God says, okay, go in the, like, hide in the rock. There's a crevice. God says, go in the rock. I'll walk past you. And Moses just glimpsed the back of God as he walks past. And when he comes down, Moses is glowing. And he's glowing for days. Can you imagine if he'd seen more than just the back of God? Or if he'd seen all of them, he'd just be disintegrated into a pile of dust. Or just not even dust because of God's holiness. Um, And it says about them covering their feet as well, which is a little bit... I I don't really know what to take. And I looked up some different things that people thought and different different, um, Bible writers had written. But there was a general, a general pattern of, in those days, feet were disgusting because people wore sandals, there was dust, they rode camels or donkeys or whatever, and they were gross. And whenever people had to go into the presence of God, they had to wash their feet. Um, and they had to go through a cleaning um, process to go into various parts of the temple and, and different things like that. Um, and actually, that, that made a connection for me because when we come to God... Do we brush off the dirt on our feet and do we, um, do we come into the presence of God and do we know his holiness or do we come into the presence of God and just kind of sit there? Because I know I do sometimes. I come in and I bring all my dirt in with me and just sit there with a grumpy face on um, when I want to come into the presence of God. And this is angels in the presence of God and they're covering their feet, they're covering their face. Um, and it says, when they were calling out, holy, holy, holy to each other, their voices shook the temple um, to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Um, it must have been really scary. Because even if it was a vision, that is intense, isn't it? Have you ever been, um, I don't know, like in a gig or a festival or something and you've got a bit too close to the stage and the bass is up really loud and you can feel vibrations? And the air vibrates, and you, you have to move back eventually, because otherwise your ears are killing you. We went last night to a place, uh, we went to um, a, a Christian gig with some of the youth, and you come out and your ears are ringing. And obviously that's within a safe level. This must have been incredible, that the foundations of the actual building were shaking. Um, and smoke filled the temple. Um, I don't know if you ever sat too close to a bonfire and you get smoke in your face and your eyes and your 
throat and your hair and you stink the next day. And, but again, you have to move back because it's overwhelming. And imagine this, you're in, you're in a place, it's shaking, it's vibrating, it's intense already. These, these creatures, these angels are shouting, beyond shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And then you've got this smoke to deal with as well. It must have just been incredible and overwhelming um, to be there. And this is Isaiah's revelation of God's holiness. Because without, without an experience of, of a real um, revelation of God's holiness from God, we can't grasp that because we are nowhere near holy and we don't know what true holiness is. But God is perfect and he is big. And um, so this is Isaiah's revelation moment. And it brings him to a place of brokenness from just being in the presence and just realizing how awesome God is. No one's pressuring him. God's not there going, you did this, you did this, you did that. You're wrong when you say this. You're wrong when you think that. God's just there in his holiness. And the, the impact that it has on Isaiah is that he is broken because he realizes how far away he is um, from holiness. In some versions, it says, I am undone rather than I am doomed. Um, and in Hebrew, in Hebrew, it says, I'm unjointed. And it's literally unjointed. I am falling apart. Like, I am falling apart and I am in a pile on the Because I don't feel like that very often. But I would say that I come and I want to be in the presence of God. And how often do you have that bigger experience? We all go through times where we do feel like that, for sure. Um, but it's because he sees and he understands and he has this revelation of God's holiness. Um, and it says he's out of... Um, it says he um, has filthy lips and live among a people with filthy lips. And this isn't that like, he has a bad language problem, okay? This is that he realizes that he's lost and that he lives among people who are lost, who are not worthy, who are not understanding God's true holiness and who don't measure up. Um, and it says throughout the Bible in various different... Oh, there were loads of verses, so I didn't write them down, but you can Google it and look them up if you want to. But through the Bible, it says, out of the mouth flows the abundance of the heart. So what is in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. Um, whether it's a bit of bitterness, whether it's a bit of anger, whether it's a bit of hatred, whether it's a bit of insecurity, uncertainty, unconfidence even. Um, it can be really little things, anxiety in your heart. Eventually those things do come out of your mouth. If you let someone talk long enough, what's in here comes out. And um, he, um, and we're not kind, we're not considerate of others. And we don't respond to people in a godly and a holy way. Um, so I, th I think that that's what it means, and that's what I read somewhere as well, so it's not just me. Okay. <laughs> um, but Isaiah recognizes that he is broken, and he recognizes that he is lost. Um, the next bit is that one of the seraphim flew to him with a burning coal um, and touched his lips. Isaiah can't make himself pure. He can't make himself holy. It has to be God. That's what um, a lot of people prayed that this morning, actually, that it has to be God that comes and does the work in you. Um, we can strive and we can try to be better 
we can strive to do the right things, we can try to be amazing Christians and we can try to be kind and try to be charitable and try to do this, that and the other. But actually, unless it's coming from God, it's not truly um, good, it's not truly holy. Um, and God uses this image of the coal, the burning coal, um, as um, an image for God coming and he what touches Isaiah's lips and it makes Isaiah pure. It takes away um, all the uncleanness, the filth, like we were saying with the seraphim being fire. That's what this coal is, a symbol, an illustration or an um, image of. And it takes away all of that badness, that unholiness, that uncleanness. Um, and God makes him clean and usable. And it's straight away. The seraphim says, as the coal touches him, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. Um, and your sins are forgiven. It's not, you've got to go do this, 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 and this. It's immediate. Um, and at that time, it would have still been when, um, it would have been when people still had to make sacrifices um, to atone for the sins that they had done. So take sacrifices to the temple and do it. But here, God's showing Isaiah that it's immediate. He's done it. But Isaiah did have to respond for God to do that. Um, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger who will go? And Isaiah responds immediately, but he responds very differently because God has done that work in him. God has shown him that he can take away the guilt and um, all of those things. And so God can really use Isaiah and Isaiah's heart is cleaned and God can use him now. Um, so his response is immediate. So through this whole vision, Isaiah has various different things that happen in an order. And they're all things that, um, that God does in us. And maybe he does it once and maybe he does it a lot, and maybe it's something that we need to keep coming to a place where we recognize our brokenness because we're humans and we're not perfect. And we might have a season where actually we're on point and we're remembering that God is holy and we're remembering to go and to pray and give and ask God to forgive us and take away all of the uncleanness, the, um, the impurities and stuff so that he can use us. Um, but Isaiah had these moments. So he had a revelation of God's holiness and power. God showed him in that temple that amazing, um, it must have just been incredible, I love it, and my imagination goes like nuts when I think of these things, but can you imagine just being in a thing, like in a pressure cooker, in a pressure cooker, and just the immensity um, of God. So he has this revelation of God's holiness and power, which brings him to a place where he recognizes his brokenness. Then he responded to God, and God made him clean. He allows God to reckon with him. Um, that coal touches him, and God does the work in him. And then he... Oh, are they? Um, and then he responded again to God's call, but this time from a place of godliness, um, of holiness that, that was true to what God was asking him to do. And Isaiah never forgot that vision and that experience. Um, so he, he stayed in Judah till he died. 
there were three more kings and God really used him in that nation, not only in the politics and with the kings at the time, but also he used Isaiah to bring a message of hope and a message of Jesus to the people um, of a saviour. And he has a major book in the Bible. And we probably don't realise how nuts that is. You think how many people in the entire world God has used to forward his kingdom. And there are 66 books in the Bible, hundred and maybe 135 to 150 writers. That's all that got in that Bible. And Isaiah has a whole book. Um, and it's a major book that Christians all over the place use to know God and to go on with God. Um, and God used him to prophesy about Jesus. That's nuts. He, and he won't have known that. He, he, doesn't, he died way, way, way before half of his prophecies come true, but he was brave and he was courageous enough to do it. Um, and so this is, the, this is the end, really. Um, but I just think it's awesome that Isaiah, such a great man of God, had to come to a place where he was in God's presence and he realised what God's presence is and he, he was broken and undone and then he was willing to allow God to do something so that he could be used for a holy purpose. And God has that for all of us. And it actually really challenged me because we can do things in our own strength really well quite a lot of the time. But even if we're doing something really well in our own strength, it's not going to have its desired full impact unless we're doing it for, for a truly holy purpose that God has for us. So whether it's making a cup of tea for, pers- for a person or whether it's, well, whatever it is, it doesn't matter how small or how big it is. Um, if Isaiah has to go through this to be able to be used, truly used by God, then, then we do too. Um, yeah. In Isaiah 1, before he was made holy, Isaiah says, uh, has this um, from God for the people. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If, only, if you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. This is before he had that vision. So he knows what it is to live a right life and a godly life. But once he's had this vision, now this means, a different, this means a different thing, all these things, because he's doing it from a place of um, cleanness, that God can really work through these activities, through these different things. Um, he understands that God can take his sin away. Um, and can make him as white as snow. 